today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Let's get out of this world and head up into space. Uh, not so much about the uh, uh, Canadian or American endeavors now, but uh, more so about uh, a Chinese rocket that's up there and uh, apparently shedding a bit of debris. Uh, to tell us a story of what exactly is going on, Paul Delaney, space exploration expert, professor of astronomy and physics, York University, and with us now. Paul, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. I'm indeed. Scott, nice to be with you as always. So tell us what happened here. So the Chinese, I'm guessing, are from what I hear, I'm not guessing, uh, are in the process of building like a space station type of uh, structure. What happened here? So uh, this is their third generation space station. They've already had two in place, Tiangong 1 and 2. My apologies if the pronunciation is not perfect. And uh, Tianhe is the third generation space station. So they're starting to assemble it in orbit. And the first module, the first piece of it, was launched on April 25. Uh, and the segment of the space station made it to orbit without issue. However, the vehicle that launched it is what we refer to as a Long March 5B launcher. It's a fairly powerful rocket. And the stage which delivered the space station module to orbit is now falling back to Earth. And it's a very substantial uh, piece of uh, booster. It's, it's about 20 tons and change, and it stands about 30 meters tall. Normally, when we've got uh, upper stages of vehicles that deliver satellites to orbit, there's a controlled re-entry. So we bring it back into the atmosphere in a controlled fashion. It burns up, the vast majority of it burns up, and whatever doesn't, we dump into the South Pacific. So the de-orbit burn is a controlled affair, so we know exactly where it's going to come down and exactly when. It's those latter parameters that this, this rocket booster is not following. It's not in a controlled descent. It doesn't look as if the Chinese Space Agency has got control over it, which means we don't know exactly when nor where it will come to Earth. So this was the craft that was taking uh, supplies up to build this station. Is that well, accurate? It is the first, it's the first module. So think of the International Space Station. It right. took us the better part of 10 years to build it, a whole series of modules that were crafted together in orbit, right. and we now occupy it. The vehicle, the Long March 5B, delivered the first module of Tianhe to orbit on the 25th. So it's the first segment of the Chinese space station that is in orbit. So nobody on board or anything. It's the first of about 10 different segments that are going to eventually be assembled over the next 18 months to form ISS Mini, if you will. So what, uh, I, I mean, I'm thinking it, so the first school bus has been delivered, as you called it yes, before, yes, uh, exactly. the first module. Um, so what went wrong here? What, what should have happened here? Well, here it gets a bit fuzzy. Um, normally, when a, 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 a satellite is delivered to orbit, the ground control orders the, the, the second stage to you know, distance itself from the satellite, and then fire its uh, rockets to slow down the vehicle, and it is in a controlled state of re-entry. That is to say, we bring its speed down to the minimum value, and then we do that in such a way that we know exactly when it hits the upper atmosphere, the thicker part of our atmosphere, and begins the de-entry, uh, the re-entry process. That's normally what happens. For small upper stages, some uh, some space agencies say, oh, what the heck, it's going to burn up regardless. It doesn't matter where it's going to fall because it's not going to reach the ground, if it's small, as in a mm -hmm. few tons. A 20-ton vehicle, however, is not going to fully disintegrate, and it is going to have a, a, a certain amount of debris that will survive reentry. They should have, 
controlled the vehicle. It's not in control. It's tumbling in orbit at the moment. And that means, of course, that they either couldn't or haven't put, they, they either couldn't control it, in other words, there's been a failure of that mechanism, the deorbiting mechanism, or they haven't bothered to put that type of technology on board the booster. And the latter, we think, is the case because last year when they launched an almost identical vehicle for a different purpose, but the same Long March 5B, it too re-entered the atmosphere in an uncontrolled fashion and actually dumped some of its content on the Ivory Coast. So this vehicle has a history of not being in a controlled re-entry. China had suggested or alluded to the fact that they were making changes. Presumably that was to allow for controlled re-entry, but the same thing is happening this time. It's not so so we're, we're, we're not sure if this was intentional or, or if accident. something went, yeah, for, or if it was yeah. an accident. So uh, they could very well have been expecting this to happen and just assuming it's going to burn up. It's the well, they can assume that, but it's too big for it to entirely right. burn up. I mean, so something went wrong. Twenty tons is still four tons of material that's going to rain down on the planetary surface. Yeah. That's a fair bit of debris. It's not going to come down as one piece, by the way. I mean, the, yeah. the booster will break up, uh, and it'll be you know uh, pieces, bits and pieces, but potentially as much as four tons of bits and pieces. I, I wouldn't want my house to be underneath that raining debris. Mm. Do they have any idea where this is going? I mean, uh, how will they monitor this going down? What is what's our what will our reaction be, or just hope for the best? It really is hope for the best. Uh, there's no shortage of people monitoring it. Uh, I mean, amongst others, the U.S. Space Command is monitoring it. Every major space agency on the planet monitors low Earth orbit uh, for debris avoidance and you know, space junk type issues. So everybody knows where this rocket is. It is tumbling. The best estimate they have at the moment is it's going to hit the upper reaches of our atmosphere, the thicker upper reaches of our atmosphere, around about 7 o'clock tomorrow night. But just to give you uh, an example of, of how much we don't know, the error bar, in other words, how much they might be out in that estimate of 7 o'clock tomorrow night, is plus or minus 9 hours. Hmm. Now, that, that means you've got an 18-hour window, and this object is going once around the entire planet every 90 minutes. So, yeah, we don't know where it's going to come down. We will eventually know when, and once we know when it's going to come down, then we can uh, refine that uh, ground path for the debris. But at will the moment, we, we don't know. Will we be able to see this with the naked eye? Uh, if you were in the right part of the planet and it was dark, yes, you would be able to see some of this reentry. Absolutely. Um, but again, you know, I, I can't tell you where to be <laughs> to look at it. What does China say about this? Not much, and that sort of has drawn some criticism from all sorts of groups around the planet. Uh, I mean, in this day and age where we are all keenly aware of space junk and the problems that it is posing for low Earth orbit, you know, for, for all sorts of weather satellites, communication satellites, not to mention the International Space Station and soon the burgeoning space tourism industry, having more space junk up there is not good. We want to be making less space junk. And here we are having an uncontrolled big object flapping around both Earth orbit and now coming to ground. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just something that shouldn't have happened. And China has remained very, very silent on the whole affair. Will they have to speak up more as this comes closer? Well, I mean... <laughs> We would hope that uh, they're paying some attention here. 
so that uh, there's nothing they can do about the current vehicle. End of conversation. There's nothing any of us can do about it. It's coming down, and we really can only hope for the best. But what we can do is hopefully mitigate this happening again. I mean, the the the, uh, Chinese space station is going to be assembled over the next 18 months, and they're talking about 10 flights to do it. So we've got potentially 10 Long March 5Bs falling out of orbit, if the past precedents hold, over the next 18 months. The international community is rightfully a little bit concerned about that. I mean, you don't want to keep rolling the dice. What are you expecting with your expert opinion on this? What do you expect to see? Uh, the chances of it coming down in a populated area are really slim. They should be infinitesimal, but they are slim. Uh, so I am betting that you know China's roll of the dice will be okay here. Seventy percent of the ground path is water, and even the rest of that ground path is not you know particularly heavily populated. We're talking about uh, you know the debris from like a, a light aircraft that loses power and falls out of the sky. So unfortunately, we're talking about potentially sort of house demolishing or you know a, a small little building demolishing. We're not talking about major decimating major uh, devastation of a city like Hamilton or Toronto. And by the way, we are north of the ground path. It can't reach Canada, just in case you were wondering. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we are talking about worst case scenario, somebody's house being demolished. Um, what's the world view of China on this? Is this an embarrassment for China or is this an accomplishment? Uh, it's, it's an embarrassment. Yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah. that's one of the reasons they're staying very silent. They point out rightfully that they're not the only country that does this. I mean, Russia, the United States have all been guilty of space debris, space junk. I mean, we all remember probably back to Skylab. Skylab was an uncontrolled re-entry that landed in Australia back in 1979. So this stuff can come to ground. More often than not, it lands in the ocean. But we have instances of where it has come to land. Uh, so, you know, China is, I think, a little red-faced, if you pardon the pun, in this regard. Uh, I'm just hoping that they're sufficiently embarrassed that all future Long March 5Bs are, in fact, going to be better equipped to be able to deorbit safely. It's a big booster. If it was a small booster, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Like, you know, for example, SpaceX's second stage <clears throat> brought a bit of debris down in Washington State. I'm either the second to last or the third to last um, uh, launch. But it's a very small upper stage. It's about four tons compared to 20 tons. Uh, so, you know, all spacefaring nations have to be mindful, and they are. There are conventions, but they're not laws. There are conventions which we are all trying to follow, and China is sort of you know, flying in the face of that at this moment in time. So at this point, it's just wait and see. It is, and there's nothing else we can do. There is, forget about science fiction. We're not talking about launching interceptors to knock this thing out of the sky. Uh, even if it was potentially coming down towards a really populated area, I don't think the U.S. Space Command has anything like the capabilities needed to knock this thing out of the uh, out of the atmosphere. Wow, incredible story. Uh, Paul Delaney with a space exploration expert, professor of astronomy, physics at York University. I'm sure Paul will be talking more about how this story ends up. <laughs> Thanks for the time and have a great weekend. Yep, take care. I will. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let's bring in Scott Radley, host of the Scott Radley Show, sports columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. You can hear him every night right here on CHML. Scott, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. 
hey, it's Friday. Who isn't doing well? And you point to NASCAR, my friend. Oh, my goodness. This was pretty funny. Uh, oh, I guess funny may not be some of the words, uh, one of the words that people use to describe this. But uh, tell us what happened. Uh, obviously, this is a carryover from the game before. Well, okay, yeah. So the, the game before, you have sort of the league's boogeyman right now, Tom Wilson, who uh, punches someone who's down, and then someone else from the Rangers jumps on his back to get him to stop, and it happens to be the Rangers' $12 million a year superstar who's about 80 pounds lighter than Wilson, who then grabs his hair and whips him backwards with his helmet off down to the ice. And, and very fortunately... Uh, Panera, Artemi Panarin, the guy who got thrown down, very fortunately landed on his shoulder first rather than on his head because I think a lot of people will remember it's only about six years now, seven years since we had that fight in the senior game with the guy from the Whitby Dunlops who fell yeah. in a fight and cracked his head and died. And, you know, the, so people get, people get spooked about this kind of stuff and the possibility that you could have a horrendous thing and so most people, because Wilson, the guy in the middle of this, has been suspended multiple times, most people think, okay, here we go, he's going to get another suspension. And the league doesn't even address the throwing the guy to the ice and gave just a $5,000 fine to the for the punch when the player was down. And, of course, everyone then goes nuts, and now the Rangers have to show that they're not going to take this. And then, you know, I mean, so it, here's where you get to. And, you know, the amazing thing about this, Scott, is we forget – because times have changed, what hockey was like in the 70s, when this would yeah. have been like a, a soft touch because the Philadelphia Flyers, the entire team yep. would have jumped over the boards onto the ice and had a bench-clearing brawl right off the bat. Another Saturday night. But hockey has been trying very diligently to change that perception, to change that way of the game being played, and it has. And so this then becomes... You know, shocking. I, I read a lot of tweets from people going, I've never seen this before. And it's like, well, then you must be under 25. Because, yeah. you know, this yeah. is not brand new, but it is new for the new generation. So is this a black eye for hockey or uh, another great uh, piece for the highlight reel? Well, uh, it is, do you believe in that adage that any publicity is good publicity? Yeah. I mean, it, it, nobody, there was more people, there were more people talking about there has been for years people who aren't necessarily hockey fans down in the States. So I suppose you can say, well, look, how many people, I bet the ratings for that game were pretty good. We haven't seen them yet. I haven't seen them yet, but I bet they were pretty good. On the flip side, where this is bad, Scott, and, and where I have been, and I'm not alone, been critical of the NHL is the NHL has a system of discipline that I think is ridiculous, I think is broken, I think is inconsistent, I think no one knows game to game, incident to incident, what's going to happen. And I think they've set up a system that's destined to be this, because not only do you have a former player as the judge and jury, and so, you know, and the argument here is, well, we need to have someone who understands the emotion and the flow and the feeling of being in that moment and on and on. No other sport thinks it needs to do that. In, in basketball, baseball, football, it's the commissioner who makes those decisions. But hockey says, no, we need a player. And then on top of that, the guy who's now in charge of discipline is a former goon. So you've got, you don't, so mm. you put in place here a guy who is his way of playing, his career was built on the stuff where you're punching people in the face. So you, you know, it, it, and that's been the case a number of times over the years. 
And they never seem to, you know, if, even if you say you want to put a player in that position to understand the nuance of the game, but they never seem to put the player in there who is the aggrieved rather than the aggriever. Well, if you're going to have a player, why do you have to have George Peros, who was a goon, why not have the Sedin brothers, who were pacifists and never got into a fight in their life, but they never go mm. that way. They always go with the guy who was the tough guy, which it just I don't understand. Uh, NHL reaction to this? Well, the NHL's reaction was nothing until the New York Rangers put out a press release or a statement yeah. that essentially said George Peros, the guy in charge of discipline, um, he was in dereliction of his duty and should be removed because he's not fit to hold the office. And then the NHL loses its mind, and so the Rangers got fined 50 times more for their words than Tom Wilson did for his punching a guy in the face who was down. And again, you know, you end up with these situations where you go, okay, so what matters? What's the message here that, that you know, we don't want you to say unkind things, but as long as you're only you know, doing the exact thing that we say we've been trying to get out of hockey and trying to get rid of head injuries and blows to the head. As long as you, as long as you just do that old stuff, fine. Just don't say anything bad about us. Wasn't it like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine? Yeah, yeah, fifty times more. So that grand. so it's a two hundred fifty thousand dollar fine because the New York Rangers spoke up about this incident because they criticized the league for its handling yeah. of this incident. And well, I, I had no doubt they were going to get fined because leagues all over the place don't let players or coaches or whoever criticize officials or whatever because they say, well, this diminishes the two hundred and fifty grand. Though that's a massive amount, and as you said, I mean, aren't people going to go? Well, what this is, compared to that, I mean, this is outlandish. So the the maximum fine a player can get under the collective agreement is five thousand dollars, which mm-hmm. is something that. You know, they may want to start looking at, and the, and the Players Association, of course, doesn't want that to change. They want to have, they want to keep it there because it's pop money out of the players' pockets. But, Scott, I've argued this for an, a long time. For a long time, I've said it many times. I believe there's an easy answer. There's a very easy fix to this for the NHL. But, of course, the NHL would never do this in a million years. But I think it's an easy answer, and that is you say this. We, as the NHL, are, as of right now, we are Pontius piloting this situation. We're washing our hands of making decisions, and we are handing the discipline protocol over to the Players Association. Since the Players Association represents every player, they all pay dues, you figure out yeah. what the penalty is because you are now listening to the aggrieved and the aggriever. You're listening yeah. to the guy who got injured and the yeah. guy who did it. You tell the guy who got injured that there's, it's not worth a penalty. Yeah. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show and sports columnist with your Hamilton Spectator. Make sure you're listening uh, to him tonight. Scott, as always, thanks for the time. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.